So glad you could come along. I am the Dream Finder. Life is a prize. Live every minute. Open your eyes and watch how you win it. Okay, crackpots, let's get cooking. The magic of Walt Disney World. And now, the show that has the whole town cooking. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station and passport to the Disney parks, movies, and more. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this week and every week, as we have been for the past 18 plus years, I want to help you have not just the best Disney vacation experience possible, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are, here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook every Wednesday night, blog, events, weekly newsletter, and more. Please join the community and find everything at www.radio.com. Join me again this week as we continue our magical trip down memory lane, diving deep into the top 10 moments and incredible individuals who truly made a mark on the Disney legacy and helped shape the happiest company on earth. Then stay tuned for our Disney trivia question of the week and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we continue our look at the top 10 milestone moments in Disney company history, where we not just focus on individual events, but some of the people, companies, and challenges faced along the way, and then make sure you stay tuned to the end of the show, because I would love to hear from you in terms of what you think either we got right on our list and you think is the most impactful moment, or what we left off and why you think it should be there. And so Tim Foster and I will continue our look at the top 10 milestone moments in Disney company history. Enjoy. I don't think anybody else has the resources to attack quality the way we do. Uh, most people take shortcuts for either economic reasons or because they're lazy. You know, most people take shortcuts because they just don't know how to do it right. And this company has such a history of not taking that shortcut, going down the path uh, that is the hardest, the toughest, the most painful, and the most expensive to gain a quality that, that it's fun to be around. So... I'm going to, in the interest of of time and um, efficiency and, and efficacy, I'm going to sort of merge a, a number of things into one. Oh, great! I have two. I have two left on my list. You better not take either one of them. <laughs> if they are, if these are one of them, let me know, and right. we'll just we'll just you know we'll do it together. <laughs> um, I'm calling these the big six. I'm calling this the big six, and these are the big six acquisitions of make it five and we'll be happy okay which one would you like me to leave out <clears throat> a little little ball with a star on it and a lampy guy done i'm going right. to mention it just for i will sort of i will give a, a very broad stroke of the brush i won't i won't go into detail and then we'll piggyback going deeper into to pixar but you know from a period of about 20 a little over two decades, Disney acquires, you know, I'm, I'm jokingly sort of calling it the big six. They acquire, in 1995, they acquire ABC, which also brings in networks like ESPN under the umbrella. In 2004, they acquired the Muppet properties, including but not limited to Bear and the Big Blue House for a, a discount of $75 million. <laughs> two years later, they acquire Pixar Animation Studios, which strengthens, solidifies its animation dominance. Three years later, they acquire Marvel Entertainment, uh, uh, adding this 5,000 plus superheroes to its roster 
And now, you know, as many people sort of felt at the time, it helped fill a void, and especially in terms of appealing to that teenage young adult boy that maybe was seeing a lot of princesses coming into the parks. Disney says, wait, hold my lightsaber. We're not done yet because out of nowhere, three years later, they acquire Lucasfilms, Star Wars, Indiana Jones. And then five years after that, again, I don't know if anybody saw this coming. They acquire 21st Century Fox, expanding the media holdings to, you know, to lengths and and widths that we have not even, I think, begun to see. But, you know, even going back to acquiring ABC, which at the time was valued at 19 billion, it was monumental. Like overnight, Disney becomes a media juggernaut, not just on the big screen, but the small screen because it's ESPN, it's A&E, it's Lifetime. So giving... Disney getting ABC diversifies their content portfolio, but it also allows them and gives them the freedom of flexibility of controlling and producing a wider range of television content. Also, overnight, they take over the sports broadcasting market, literally, like with one (laughs) stroke of a pen, they are now the leader in sports broadcasting. Kids, you might not realize it because everything's online now, but at one point, ESPN was it. It is where you went for sports. They acquired the Muppets in 2004, again, immediately impacting the company by bringing in beloved characters like Kermit and and everything into the Disney fold. Yes, they produced, you know, a number of Muppet projects. Um, There was the theme park presence, merchandising, streaming, And I think there is this continuing ongoing effort to revitalize and maybe even to a certain degree modernize the Muppet brand, making it more relevant to new generations. But these these characters, Tim, have have literally, you know, timeless appeal. And yes, I said Big Bear in the Big Blue House because I loved it. I will skip over. Pixar because I'll let you talk more about that but yeah, you it, can talk it you can talk about Pixar well let's talk about it together how's that all right right so 2006 7.4 billion dollar deal um in this very very smart move to consolidate Disney's position in animation right because they already collaborated with Disney on uh Toy Story and Finding Nemo but this was too the thing that helped to revitalize once again Disney animation. And, you know, personal stuff aside, you know, key figures like John Lasseter took on leadership roles within Disney and created and, and brought back this culture of innovation and creativity that might have been missing for some time within the company. Well, that's the thing. And it's 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 fun sometimes to try and distill these big monumental milestones into a fun little story. And and I have one. It's oversimplified, but I was gonna lead my Pixar discussion by saying that one of those pivotal moments in Disney history was when Bob Iger in two thousand either late two thousand five or early two thousand six was in Hong Kong Disneyland watching parade. And realized that in the first 10 minutes of the parade, he didn't see a single Disney character. Mm -hmm. They're all Pixar. And that planted the seed in his mind that, you know, the tough negotiations we've been having with Pixar lately, which didn't seem to be going anywhere. We need to make this happen. And they did. And uh, the acquisition happened, as you said. And I just remember at the time, uh, me and sure many other people were going to Disney films. For us, it became the every year going to the new Pixar film and waiting for that new masterpiece because right. we just knew it was coming. And I mean, you look by Pixar. I mean, they still are today, but Pixar was on a on. You talk about a roll. They were on a roll back then. Like nothing they did was less than you know ten ten out of ten and so forth. Disney films at the time, um, they're they're coming off of the Disney Renaissance now. So it's it you can kind of an overstatement, but that quality ramp of Pixar going up and the one for Disney I'll say st- staying steady you're going down but you kind of look to Pixar as the new <clears throat> that's where the great movies are coming from and early on it's, it's distributed by Disney close enough for me 
um, when word started coming that the two might be separating, uh, got a little little nervous, a little scared. Like, will I stay with Pixar if they leave? Who's <laughs> fault? Who am I mad at? You know. Uh, but thankfully, you know, things things ended up the way they are, and um, and I don't know. It's it's probably impossible to quantify which of the acquisitions you said were the most impactful or most important, but um, you, you got to think Pixar just, just for what you said, not just financially, but solidifying cementing, we'll say Disney's uh, and Pixar's place in animation uh, across the industry now with uh, not just revenue, but the quality of films and so forth. So. You know, I would even, I would even take the significance of this, merger out a few more steps because lest we forget one Steve Jobs was one of the founding fathers of yeah. Pixar Animation Studios right he wasn't just the the former CEO of Apple and i think his very sad very untimely passing in 2011 just a few years later i think his you know and i i know we keep i keep talking about people passing because they are significant i wonder what the future and the relationship between Disney, not and ju- not just with Steve Jobs, the person, the the board member, the executive, but but Disney and potentially Apple might have been going forward. I I have to believe that there were conversations happening between Disney and Apple, not talking for any type of merger or or acquisition or things like that, but a working together of the two companies because of the person that Steve Jobs was, because he was that same type of, and again, all respect intended to everyone, the same type of creative and visionary that a Walt Disney was, that some of these other executives were. And imagine the powerhouse that would have been created bringing the two families of Disney and Apple together in whatever form or fashion they might have been. The history of Disney is riddled with what ifs and what could have been. Yeah. But. And just to, to quickly touch on, again, Marvel Entertainment, the acquisition of Marvel in, in mm-hmm. 2009, $4 billion. I remember it was right right before D23 Expo. I've told my Kevin Feige story a million times. But, you know, the $4 billion deal, which at the time was just like inconceivable was a discount right because of what they got in the creation of the mcu and this you know this phased approach to storytelling which you know feige and disney have this roadmap of content for years to come and and what it's done and what it's brought to disney plus the same thing for lucasfilm george and george uh you know george and Bob get together and next thing you know, somebody's cutting a check for $4 billion to bring in. I always wonder how those conversations take place, but that's sort of what it was, what it was like, you know, again, we don't need to go into it. And I think the really interesting one and one that we're, we're just starting to, I think, scratch the surface of was the acquisition of 20th century, 21st century Fox, which I, I don't, you know, there was never like a rumor that this was happening in, in 2017 for $71.3 billion. Like, um, again, this vision of we need to bolster our already massive content library and bring in franchises, not just like Avatar, but connecting it to the Marvel Studios. X-Men, Fantastic Four is going to be this next iteration of where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going. But, you know, beyond the content, Tim, it it provided Disney with additional production resources and international networks and a controlling stake in in Hulu. So this the reach in the entertainment industry and the opening of doors for potential crossovers and this rich content library um, is, is going to be, look, I don't expect to see like Die Hard and Titanic in the parks anytime soon, but you know, (laughs) when you start looking at what it represents, right, it's 20th century studios, um, searchlight pictures, which uh, shape of water and slumdog millionaire FX networks, Nat Geo, 20th century television. Like the fact that if you would have said 20 years ago that Disney is one day going to own the Simpsons, people would have said you were crazy. 
right? But this, I think it goes beyond just this idea of, of storytelling opportunities, but what the future is going to bring in terms of big screen streaming potential sequels and spinoffs and, and expansion in the, the theme parks is going to be very, very, very interesting. Well, it's, actually, it reminds me of a funny thing that happened to me. So we're, if if you're going to allow me, we might get to this uh, factoid that I have a new book coming out. Um, one you of the books? things, one of the, <laughs> eh, once in a while, once in a while, one of the things I was doing in this book, which is about Disney's 100 years, I wanted to include a filmography in the back for reference, you know, if you wanted to look it up. And this kind of goes to your point, all the acquisitions that have been made up until, oh, what, the 80s and 90s. It's a fairly short list. No problem. When I got after that, I realized if I were to comprehensively list every film that Disney and its acquisition partners has, that's that's. That's an encyclopedia. So uh, it's not in there. I didn't do it because it was ridiculous. <laughs> so, but it's funny when you when you see the disparity, like pre pre acquisitions this and post acquisitions this. Um, it kind of leads me to my next one though, and I'm going to go sort of chronologically, but I'm going to go right up to the current day, day here, and I'm going to talk about the pandemic mm-hmm. and how that affected the company on many levels and. So the easy part first, we we know how it impacted. Well, obviously, it impacted the company and and the world in a tremendous way. Parks obviously closed. Greatly changed as the parks reopened, greatly changed how we tour the parks uh, out of necessity as things were slowly opening. And, you know, Disney had to be careful with attendance and safety and all these protocols. Some things are coming back. Some things may forever be changed, and I guess time's going to tell what parts are going to stay, what parts will revert back to, I use quotes, normal. Um, but there's no doubt that the way we toured the parks in some way will have changed permanently because of this. But I think more impactfully, and I think this is where I think the world is really anxiously waiting to see how this is going to turn out, is how the pandemic impacted the film industry, mm-hmm. not just Disney, but everybody. Um and you mentioned Disney Plus earlier, just how the world went from going to theaters, that was our movie experience, to we're streaming pretty much everything and we rarely go to theaters. I can't I think I've been to theater twice in the mm-hmm. last oh three or four years. And it would take a lot for me to go to a theater, you know. Um I like my big TV and sitting in my jammies and having <laughs> popcorn, you know, and all of that. Um but the fact is, it's changed not, not just how movies are made, how we have series series now, uh, six-part series instead of motion pictures to three-part films. Um, this is kind of a new thing with streaming now that we have these six-part episodes or, or whatever. Uh, but how revenue is measured, uh, how things are released, how contracts are done with the, the, the actors and directors and all of that. It just turn the industry upside down and uh for disney and everybody else i feel like we're still i think everyone's still waiting to see how this is how it will play out in the end and what the movie going paradigm will be going forward because it's going to be wildly different than it was before and who knows but but you've seen disney plus has so many viewers so much success from a, a viewership point of view, financially, it might be another story, but that's one of the things Disney and everyone else is going to have to navigate now. Like, how do you, in, in base business terms, how do you monetize things the way we did before? How can we maintain the success? How can we maintain the quality we've had? That's mm-hmm. probably the biggest question we all have. Um, so far, so good going by recent films that we've watched, as I think many recent films have been fantastic, but it's gonna. It's a tricky roadmap. They've had to navigate for a couple of years. They're gonna have to navigate for a long time, and like the repercussions of this are going to be hanging around for a long time. So. This was very much on my list. It would have been the next thing I was going to talk about. So this, your timing is is perfect. Um, and and this could be, you know, a conversation all by itself. 
And at first I said, you know, we need to come back in March of 2030 and, and look mm-hmm. at how, but assuming I even last that long, maybe we'll come back in March of 2025 <laughs> and look at what five years post pandemic look like. And I think sometimes because we, we lead with our hearts, I think as Disney fans, we forget about sometimes the, the business aspect of what is going on. And, and we all remember where we were when it happened, et cetera, et cetera. And that I remember I was in the parks. I was in Epcot when it happened and they announced that they were closing and they were literally pulling, you know, cast members uh, off stage and, and, and letting, I mean, it was just, it, it was un, it was, it was apocalyptic from a Disney perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I sat down at beach club and went live and, and I was with a couple of friends and, it was very emotional. It was a very, very sad time for us as, as Disney fans. And, you know, we also need to look at it from the, the corporate perspective too, right? I sort of keep thinking about from a, a business perspective by April, the company's stock had fallen nearly 30%. And to say that the financial repercussions are still being felt again, understatement, right? We all know what happened, right? The parks closed, you know, all of the parks around the world, right? Close. Thousands of cast members have to be laid off or furloughed or released due to the prolonged closures. Expansions are delayed from a non-theme park or from a production perspective. Right now, with movie theaters closed, Disney has to shift its focus towards streaming like talk about the like fortuitous timing of acquiring streaming service you know mm-hmm. uh, acquiring the streaming service but everything is delayed espn you know we just talked about how it was so impactful in terms of sports broadcasting live sports are, are canceled and postponed and cruise line and travels and abd so there's this massive impact this we, re- we remember the phased reopenings. We remember the the virtual queues and how empty and quiet the the parks were, and and this shift in content distribution strategy. Like Disney was just experimenting. They're trying to see what worked and what didn't. Like direct to streaming. Like remember, Soul came out on mm-hmm. Disney Plus in in Christmas of that year. What was planned to be you know a major motion picture release had no other choice. It had to just be. Um, you know, broadcast on streaming and, and the success of Disney plus during the pandemic, you know, might've led Disney to invest more heavily. Some people say almost too heavily in, in streaming content because it it is it's kind of the primary distribution channel for a lot of films or series, right? Because you're right, Tim, it's, I think the movies, the movie going experience has to change and become more experiential to get us off our couch with our own food, with Uber eats, with our own bathrooms to get right. us into like the movie going experience. Like Endgame was a going to the movies. It was an experiential. Yeah. We need something like this. Right. But, you know, we could list ad nauseum all of the the longer term implications right this hybrid release strategy the changes in in health and safety protocols and um you know think about the digital integration of and utilization of tools in the parks mobile food ordering and virtual queues just didn't exist before this and now that we are comfortable with it and i mean not just comfortable using it but comfortable with liking to use it it's this negative thing might be turned might have turned into a sort of a guest satisfier through technologies. Um, I think what it and look, there are and I, I want to be very sensitive to this because I understand that and I and I hate the fact that that things are not back to normal. And I mean that not just as a Disney guest and an enthusiast, but understanding things are not back to normal because every cast member that lost their job is not back to work. Every experience in the parks is not back. Look, they're still not back up to full staff, right? They're still not able to staff everything that they need to, which is why experiences, some experiences aren't back, why things are not open all the time, why we don't have street atmosphere yet. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that have not sort of gone back to quote unquote normal. And I think that definition of normal has to change. Um, you know, Disney lost 
two billion billion with a B dollars plus as a result of the pandemic. I don't know that a lot of other companies could survive that. And, you know, conversations about leadership could be a separate conversation. But I think it did again now that we're almost, you know, four years after this, it, it did the pandemic did show Disney's ability to sort of adapt to unprecedented beyond belief challenges from, you know, pivoting to streaming to reimagining the theme park experience, um, you know, leveraging technology, not just on streaming platforms, but, you know, in terms of mobile apps and using mobile apps for the theme park experience is really going to continue to influence the strategies for, for years to come. And, you know, you never know how a company and, and it's, its guests are going to respond to a crisis at this scale that nobody's ever seen before. And I think years from now, it would be interesting to look back to see how the trajectory and influence in terms of strategy in the post-pandemic world look, you know, five and 10 years later. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. This may, you know, we talked about many tumultuous times in Disney's history. This is certainly one of them. And I think we're, I guess for first, well, not the first time, but first time I recall, I'm in the middle of it and still waiting to see how the story ends in in the in the very end. Although, and then, look, there was some good that you know there was some good that yeah, came from it, there, right? I'm always going to be you know I'm gonna yeah. choose the good guy. So mobile ordering is great, virtual queues and things like that are great, and some of the the necessary adaptations have led to guest satisfiers and a, and, and sometimes an overall better experience course because that's you know we want things quick we don't want to wait online anymore we want to just like put it in our phone and just walk up and get you know our woody's lunchbox handed to us oh woody's lunchbox i know i'm craving the tater tots oh. right now that's why it's the first thing that came to mind remember you promised you were going to last till the 20 what 2030 so you got to cool it i'm gonna lunchbox. i'm going to try my best so um just out of curiosity how many more do you have on your list none okay so I I went a little bit out of order, and I'll say one last thing, and then I'm going to have a surprise question for you. Oh, me or everybody? Both. All right. <clears throat> because our friend, the listener, is sitting with us around this virtual table. Hopefully, Screaming. <laughs> probably, hopefully not saying, Mangelo, you're an idiot. Hopefully uh, enjoying and, and wanting to. And I want you to contribute to this conversation. I'll, I'll say it now. Call the voicemail, 407-900-9391, 407-900-WDW1. Share your thoughts about favorite milestone moments or be part of the conversation over in the clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Again, history, legacy, hindsight will all reflect possibly differently or, or magnify things differently years from now. But I think an absolute milestone moment and one that cannot be understated is in 2005, the hiring of Bob Iger as CEO, um, mm. his appointment as CEO succeeding Michael Eisner, um, as president and, and chief operating officer, those acquisitions that we talked about, right. We talk about sort of the, 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 the impact, the immediate relative immediate impact on the company. Under his leadership, he acquires Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, and 20th Century Fox, 21st Century Fox. You know, he brought my childhood, our childhood, into the umbrella of the Disney company. I say half jokingly, if they just buy McGill Gorilla, that's it. I'm done. Like, that's everything from my childhood. You know, forget about, from a corporate perspective, the content portfolio and entertainment power. Like, it's all these characters and these stories that we love, right? That 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 same type of visionary that, yes, and I mean this respectfully, I'm not comparing to, uh, but I'm saying along the same, like being a visionary like a Walt who, when he was trying to expand, surrounded himself by the people who were the very best at what they did. He didn't necessarily acquire companies, but it would acquire people. Bob Iger did the exact same thing, Right. We just talked about this, this recognize, recognizing this shift into the way people were consuming media 
He oversees the launch of Disney Plus, right? Going direct to consumers, making sure Disney is on the forefront and the cutting edge and, and relevance in this new digital age of, of how we consume. He expands the company, not just domestically, but glo- globally, right? Things like Shanghai Disney in, in 2016, making sure that the the reach and the, the giant hug of Disney sort of expands to a worldwide market and acquiring Pixar and, and those later changes at animation studios led to this next renaissance of animation. Again, history will show that things like Frozen and Moana were and are part of this new, you know, I keep, we keep using the word renaissance, but that's sort of really what it is. And look, I, you know, when Iger announced his retirement in 2019, and Bob Chapek succeeded him in early 2020. And I, look, say what you will about Bob Iger. I, I have had occasion to to meet with him and, and speak with him very much off the record. And, and you know, you want to talk about stepping into an unprecedented global environment during a pandemic that nobody would have been prepared for. Um, but the fact that Iger decides to come back and help navigate the company through those challenges and starts to return to a more active role during the pandemic, right? He emphasizes, look, Chapek is in charge, but I want to help ensure a smoother transition and provide guidance during a very, again, tumultuous period of time. Nobody, I think, ever expected him to come back and take the leadership position once again. Um, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why he did it. I think a lot of people expected him to, and he still may eventually go into politics, but the return of my, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> just, you know, I think the long-term legacy is going to be so fascinating to see years from now because I think he's going to be recognized and remembered for his visionary leadership, right? He transforms Disney through these acquisitions. He ensures the company's relevance as the way we as consumers consume content being relevant in this in this new age. Under his tenure, Disney's market value grew exponentially, like to the highest it had been at some points, again, which reflects the expanded content portfolio, the international presence. And I think more importantly, Tim, I think Bob Iger always emphasized and continues to emphasize, and I think we're starting to see this this happen now, right now that he's been here for a little while. I think uh, Iger has always emphasized the importance of storytelling, which again, goes back to this continuing, I'm coming full circle, which is why I want to do it here, and bookend this core value that was established by Walt remains intact. Uh, I I think the decisions he has made have been transformative. He has not only expanded the company, but continued to solidify the company and the leadership and the growth and the commitment to core values is, I I love, I I do, I I have massive amounts of respect for Bob Iger and what he has done for the company. And again, over time, it'll be really interesting to have the conversation of not just the short-term impact, but what the long-term impact um, he has had. You're saying I just checked my Disney stock. Got me all excited. (laughs) Listen, nobody's perfect. I didn't say that every, you know, every decision that is made is no, not necessarily do- perfect, you know, and we're and- doing good, but you and I, we're not in that $30 million private plane. Area. <laughs> yeah, not quite yet. We're almost there. We're getting there. Um, you know, the, look, and, and, you know, we also forget too. you know, the CEO is not, um, he's not the only person that runs the company. There are, are boards of directors and shareholders. You have to be beholding to, and it's, you know, it's a very complicated thing, but I think his leadership and, and what he brings and represents. Look, when he came back to the company, Tim, not just guests, but I think even cast members just felt different. 
right? It felt mm-hmm. good to have him back. There was a, a, a very different sort of um, emotion among cast members that, that I spoke to as well. I feel like at least on a, and again, I'm not in it. I'm not in the company or anything, but it made from a public perception on a very superficial level anyway, not dissimilar to when Steve Jobs came back, you know, to Apple mm. in that time. So I remember being an Apple person and yay, he's coming back. And yeah, I think we all felt that like a, you know, a sense of coming back to getting back on the right track. If you want to say that, and I'm with you, the, 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 what Bob Chapek fell into is, I don't think I don't see how anyone navigates out of there. Um, yeah, he gets respect for doing the best he can, but I think we have optimism came at a good time when we all kind of needed it. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what unfortunately had happened was you know Chapek just lost the confidence of not just guests, not just frontline cast members, but the the board and the company's top leaders and. I think the board and, and Iger are very much in alignment in terms of setting the strategic direction of the company towards growth. Um, and I think more importantly, saying, look, you know, I, I was going to be here for a short period of time. It was extended a little bit more. But I think they are already ensuring who his successor is going to be to lead the company in the continuing positive direction after the completion of his two year term. Like I get, that's what everyone wants is just on a on a very uh, basic level that and you hear this over and over again of Disney the company continuing to maintain everything we love about the Disney company and the values and what would Walt do and and all that and that it, that could be a very simplistic way to look at it but but you've talked about that that's hard that's why we do this that's why we love Disney it has that something extra special and having that reassurance of however well-founded it is that they're back on the right track and we're going back to those things and we're not going to just turn into yet another entertainment theme park. Everything's about the dollar kind of company makes everyone feel hopefully a little better. And I know that in the hundred year history of the company, there are a lot of other moments that we could have and should have talked about, but you know, I think we sort of, I think we actually might have had 10 in our top 10 list, we which could, done that. it could it be a first. It could very much be a first for us. And I certainly want to, we want to hear from you, our friend who is listening, what you feel some of the other milestone moments that maybe we didn't get a chance to touch on are and why, right? Why do some of these things have such a significant impact? But I'm also going to throw you a little bit of a curveball, Timmy Foster, because, you know, as we had this conversation, we talked about individuals and we talked about products and places and and moments from a, a corporate perspective and how it impacts all of those things. But in the hundred year history of the company, and more importantly, in the X number of year history of little Timmy Foster and Lou Mangello. I want to know what your personal milestone moment is or moments like just quickly from the top of your head, you think back to your Disney history, right? Your history with the company, the character, the brands, the places, the products, whatever it might be. Just close your eyes. Like what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? I want this to be very sort of impulsive. Like don't think about it. what's the first thing that comes to your mind or first couple of things that come to your mind in terms of Tim Foster's milestone moments. It's an October evening. It's 1993 for one of those years. <laughs> this is easy because I talk about it all the time. This is the, really the first time that me and uh, my wife have been back or actually together. First time I'd seen Epcot, I'd been to Disney once in 1972, but that was really it. That was the moment when this, not this company, this way of being, this way of, this this magic place came to life for me. It's when we saw, went to Epcot at night. Uh, it was sort of new. I'd never seen anything like it before. I've sort of heard about this thing, but I didn't know what it was. And uh, so that right away, just my, intro, my reintroduction to Epcot in 93, and Disney as a whole, 
is really what started me off on this whole path. That, that's a simple answer because I really have it's my best night ever in Walt Disney Aww. World was that night. And it was just it was just because again, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was beyond any expectation I had. And just knowing when I was there, knowing I would be back, you know, and knowing it it just spoke to me on on a level that we know about. That's why we come back over and over again. So and now, now I'm crying. Thanks. I got a very moment. <laughs> That's a beautiful moment. And I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. I'll share yeah. my Timmy Foster Epcot sentimental moment. I remember. Wait, was, it, was it supposed to be a moment I had with you, Lou? Because no, but there's be... a beaches and cream moment with a kitchen sink. That we no, but remember the time that you yelled at me at the Canada Pavilion while you're eating very, your Smarties? Very, very much so. And I hope that video you're eating your Smarties. Exists. I could see you standing by the phone booth on the second level getting so mad at me because I was talking to Glenn during Illuminations. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. like... What did I say? What did I say? I think you used some very non-Disney Timothy Foster words. Well, besides that, the 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 the, the, the crux of my protest, you're ruining my magic. And you were. There, I'm trying to I'm trying to cry. I'm trying to sing along. We go on. And there you two are. You know, I think the projection you're nuts are up in the tower in the cabinet is like, you ever notice that? Shut up. Shut up. Yeah, I remember that very. Oh, the beautiful times that we've had together. <laughs> so, um, all right, if I'm going to go, and, and I have a lot, like, when I, because I thought of this just last minute, right? And when I when I said it out loud, I was flooded with memories, um, especially of of the first time I took my children and, and seeing my children's faces and, and the blessing of being able to do so much for and with my kids. Um, but I think if I had to say, this could be a top 10 list. So I have to, I don't really remember it super well, but in November of 1971, um, three weeks after the parks opened, uh, my parents put me in the back of the station wagon and, and taking me on, on our first visit to Walt Disney world to say it changed the trajectory of my life is, is, you know, is actually true um, because we went every year and it, and it, it wasn't just the place. It was the people and, and the memories that we had that, that fostered my love and continuing love of, I don't even like to call it this company, but this place and the people and the way Disney continues to make me feel it is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I like to focus on the things that make us happy about going. And without that first trip and my parents taking me every year, um, none of this would be possible. And from a, from a, none of this would have been possible perspective. Um, July 30th, 2003, I can see, I know exactly where I was the, the day it happened and, and everything around it. Um, oh, I'm getting more emotional. Than I thought, Oh no. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> sorry. It was the, um, it's before me. So I'm wondering where this is going. It was, um, it was the day I signed my contract with my book publisher, uh, the intrepid traveler, um, and, and sent it back to him. I was down in Marco Island with my parents and we like, we were all together as we signed it and, and sent it in. And it was just, it was that culmination of months of, of research and writing and work and, and like Walt who inspired me at taking chances. And it just started this, this, domino effect of writing the book that led to the site and the community and, and the podcast and, and the blessing of being able to do what I do and share it. And the people that I've met, including, but not limited to you, Tim Foster. Um, it is, it was, a, it literally was a life-changing moment. And I probably didn't realize it until right now when I said it out loud, just how much it really is. And sometimes, you know, like Walt, we make these little decisions let's go rent a room in the back of the realty and, and see what happens. We make these small life-changing decisions that have impacts that we could never, ever fathom. So I am grateful. I am grateful to my mom and dad and to Walt well, I'll, and I'll, to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, out there, out there, the one, a, a mouse fest and the, a young boy <laughs> lost in the wilderness wandering with this, this, coil bound mock-up of a book he's hoping to make and there's that guy on the trivia book i know you and uh meeting you for the first time and everybody else so. 
I re- Tim, I remember uh, it. We uh, were just talking before we uh, started. I remember like that day, and there you were, like you were. Yeah. You were this. I mean, you still are this what sweet little. And we were in the Swan. It was like an early mouse yep. rest in that tiny little, like dark, low ceiling room. And you showed me this <laughs> beautiful, like hand bound manuscript of. The most, and still to this day, Tim, this is not me just blowing smoke. I still think that Guide to the Magic is the most beautiful, unique Disney book ever about the parks. Like, without question. I still have my Guide to the Magic books. I have my autograph books. I have all the different things. And I remember being like, and my publisher had a table like across the, the like a few yeah. tables away. And I, and I, I, this is the way I remember it in my mind. I sort of grabbed you by the arm and I was like, come with me. And I'm like, Tim Foster, you need to meet Kelly, Kelly and Sally. This is Tim. Like sign him right away. Don't let him go to any other tables. Um, everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out. But uh, who would have known Tim that, 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 that here we are chance uh, that, that chance meeting would lead to how many years ago? Wait a minute. Let me do the math. Good lord, are we? Do almost, I don't. I don't know if I want you to do the math, but go ahead. It's, are we near? Are we talking about nearly twenty years of of? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I smell an event coming. <laughs> ooh, ooh. All wow. right, we're gonna have to dig into our rolling we'll yeah. planners and see when it was. Yeah. Oh wow. Yes, we gotta yeah. get close. It's um. Yeah. Who who would have ever guessed? Mm. But and here we are, all these top ten, top tens. Late, we'll have to do a top ten, top ten show at some point too. We'll do. <laughs> we you know, saying. you know, what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have you yeah. come on a live show one night, and yes. we're gonna talk with people live about art, and we're gonna come up with the top ten, top ten top lists 10, that we've done. Top ten of the past top nearly twenty years. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> Tim Foster, in in your nearly hundred years of Guide to the Magic and celebrations, you have you you are continue to over deliver on the promises that you make to people with what you create in in your books and the magazines. I know you've been working hard on stuff, but just quickly tell people where they can find you and all of the different stuff that you currently have available. Oh, I won't go through everything. Well, celebrationspress.com is where you can find us. And the big news, it's funny we're talking about 100 years of Disney memories because I just finished. We're actually waiting any day now. We should be getting our newest hardcover collector's book, Disney at 100, Century of Imagination. We go decade by decade, year by year, talk about all the milestones, significant events, special happenings in Disney's histories, special features on Oh, animatronics and the World's Fair and and all all of this stuff. So we're very excited about that. There's a free pin that goes with it, Hmm. but that's available over at Celebrations Press. A free pin. We did a Disney 100 pin. We still have our Walt Disney World 50th anniversary book, our Epcot 40th anniversary book. They make a nice trio if you put them on your coffee table. (laughs) And, of course, Celebrations Magazine. We're putting our winter issue together. That's always there and fun and exciting and uh, lots of other goodies at celebrations press all good stuff i will link to it in the show notes at wdwradio.com little timmy foster getting to know and do top tens with you has been one of my great milestone moments um in in my disney history and these are fun and uh if you have an idea for a top 10 that you would like us to cover, you can just email me, Lou, at www.radio.com. Who knows? Tim, maybe we'll invite somebody to come and join us on a top 10, too. Ooh. Really that? Great. That way I don't have to do as much. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, Tim's like, whew, that's less research I need to do. Now I only need to come up with, like, three. <laughs> Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details once you see, hear, remember, maybe even taste. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. And what I mean is that by being part of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of the show to life, every live broadcast, they're all thanks to buy for with and about you 
and you can find out how you can help support the show for as little as a dollar per month and get cool exclusive rewards every single month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests. I do a monthly group video call, get access to our private Facebook group, their shirts, stickers, monthly care packages, and more. And now, as of November going first, I've modified the levels a little bit, and some of these changes come directly from you because a bunch of you have asked if there was some way that I could make the new WW Radio keychains available other than as a trivia contest prize, which right now is the only way you can win it. So I have decided to add the keychains and WDW Radio stickers to the bronze level package. And I'm now adding a WDW Radio pin to the silver level package. And I have some additional updates coming soon. So stay tuned. But more importantly, this is just my way to say thank you to you and for you and for the love, support, friendship, and help that you give to me and to the show and to the community. I love being able to give back and thank you every month as well. I'd also like to thank some new and longtime members of the Nation family, including Susan, Kevin Lynn, Randy and Denise Jackson, John Tips, Efren Vasquez Amaya, and Dave Anderson. If you'd like to find out how you can help the show and get your monthly rewards, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's trivia question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So we're talking about the history of the Disney company, so I thought it was only appropriate to ask, what were Mickey Mouse's first ever on-screen spoken words? And first, if you entered, thank you very much for playing. And for some of you, getting very creative with your not necessarily correct answers, but definitely entertaining. And the correct answer is, of course... Hot dog! Hot dog! Yes, Mickey Mouse is a man or a mouse after my own heart because his first words, like I hoped my children's would have been, was about food. It was, of course, hot dog. And he uttered those words back in the 1929 film, The Carnival Kid. That's Carnival with a K. And yes, that is Walt Disney voicing Mickey during this iconic moment. Obviously, if you have children or are one yourself or were one at some point, you know the connection to the song from Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week, you were playing for a WW Radio keychain and stickers and a mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Grace Albergo. So, Grace, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. And if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World-ish trivia challenge. So in addition to Disneyland and eventually theme parks around the world, Walt Disney actually wanted to build a non-theme park ski resort. What was the name of this proposed Disney vacation destination? Yeah, we've talked about this on past shows. We have you, the contest runs until Sunday, November 5th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. All you need to do is go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there, and this week you're going to play not just for the 3D keychain and the stickers and the pin, but I'm also going to throw in another bonus prize as well. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed our two-part look at the top 10 milestones from the history of the Disney company. And I would love to hear from you either what you agree with, maybe something that we missed on the list that you think should be added, or even what was your favorite or you think most impactful Disney corporate acquisition and why. Come be part of the community and conversation over in the WW Radio Clubhouse on Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. I'll post this question there. Plus, you can talk about anything that you want in the Disney, Marvel, or Star Wars universe. It is our warm, welcoming, friendly, and family-friendly community. I'd also love to connect with you elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram and threads and LinkedIn. And if you have a question or a comment you'd like me to share on the show, you can call the WDW Radio voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1, and I will play it on the show. And of course, as much as I love connecting and talking with you online, I still believe that nothing beats a handshake and hug. We have a lot of events coming up in the next few weeks, next few months. This coming weekend is the Run Disney Wine and Dine Half Marathon. I and some other members of the WDW Radio running team will be cheering for the 10K and the half on Friday and Saturday at the Boardwalk Bakery. 
not just because it's an easy and convenient and obvious place to come over and say hi, grab or give a sweaty hug, but of course it's the bakery. Our meet of the month is going to be Saturday, November 4th in the Magic Kingdom on Tom Sawyer Island at Aunt Polly's. You can find details over on the events page at www.radio.com. Next weekend, I'll be at the Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic, my favorite foodie event of the year. I will definitely be there on Saturday night. I will try and be there on Friday as well. You can get your tickets at foodandwineclassic.com. If you've never been before, you've got to try it. If you have been before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. More than 150 wine and beverages from around the world. More importantly, you can stroll the causeway, which is not very crowded, by the way. There's live entertainment, a wide range of cuisines with Mexican, Italian, sushi, steak, seafood, and barbecue, all from the Swan and Dolphin restaurants, as well as a number of pop-up locations. There's also optional educational seminars. It is a wonderful time. Again, check it out at foodandwineclassic.com. We're also going to do WDW Radio Night at Jollywood Night on Monday, November 20th. This is just a night that we can sort of pick to go and enjoy this brand new event, which I'm so excited for together. Maybe I'll try and arrange a time and location where we can all meet up and say hi. They hit an attraction together. And to help you get to Jollywood Nights, coming up this week on Instagram, I'm going to give away not one, but two tickets to Jollywood Nights for Monday, November 20th. Follow along at Instagram.com slash to find out how you can enter for a chance to win. Plus, we have not one, but two cruises coming up. Our five-night Halloween on the High Seas Cruise on the Disney Magic, October 21st through the 26th, 2024, which also goes to Lighthouse Point, and our seven-night Western Caribbean Cruise on the brand-new Disney Treasure, February 8th through the 15th, 2025, Cozumel, Grand Cayman, Jamaica, Castaway Key, Haunted Mansion Parlor, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and Jungle Cruise-themed lounges, the new Moana Show, and some of the best dining you'll find at See, to find out more about any or all these, go to www.radio.com, click on the events tab there. And if you want to find out more about any of our cruises or get a free no obligation quote from our friends over at Mouse Fan Travel, you can visit www.radio.com slash cruises. And if you're ready to take your idea, your business, or conference to the next level and infuse a little bit of Disney magic into your event or business, I would love to be able to help. As a keynote speaker, I deliver customized presentations at events around the world, from startups to working with Disney Parks Experiences and Products and the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. And my talks are more than motivational because they're packed with real-world actionable content, and we dive deep into the lessons from the Disney Parks and the Walt Disney Company on customer service and leadership and storytelling and creating a Disney-like culture. So whether you are an entrepreneur, executive, student, or educator, I offer custom-tailored lessons that inspire and drive action with topics ranging from achieving the ultimate customer experience with lessons learned from Disney Parks to storytelling building community, and more. And if you're looking for personal and personalized guidance, I'm here for both one-on-one coaching sessions where we dive deep together and unlock your full potential. And I'm also launching my next weekly mastermind group in January. And I also have my Momentum series of events and workshops. Please visit lumangelo.com to learn more and reach out and get in touch. And let's go make some magic together. And when you're planning your next Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, Aulani, or any vacation around the world, you can visit our friends over at mousefantravel.com for not just the best possible prices, all available discounts, but most important, the personal level of attention and service that every one of the Mouse Fan Travel Advisors gives you as their client. You can reach out to them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word, tell a friend, invite somebody to listen and subscribe to the show, and rate and review the show over in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I hope to see you this and every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDW Radio Live on Facebook. So until next time, I hope that this is your best week ever. I hope that you always don't just choose the good, but be the good and that positive model and inspiration for others, because I promise you that positivity is contagious and you can be the person that helps to start that ripple effect. So until next time, happy Halloween. I love you. I appreciate you. See ya. Hey, Lou, it's Christine Morrison from Flower Town, Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful day here, and I haven't called in a few weeks. And I just listened to your email episode with Becky from a few weeks ago, and her asking you, what would you rather do, Disneyland Paris or The Wish? And I agree with you. It's a hard decision. 
Um, I've never been to Disneyland Paris, but at first I thought that would be it. But then I had a really, really cool thought. It would be really awesome to get all of your immediate family and be in one of the royal suites or the tower suite on Christmas Day and do Christmas and, and you can have Paolo delivered to your room for dinner and you just hang out, go in the atrium and see the characters. Everybody wakes up together in your Disney-themed matching pajamas on Christmas morning and everybody's in tears and you go to the get some coffee. Oh, it would just be fantastic. That would be my dream. So anyway, have a wonderful day and everybody make someone smile. Bye.